please open in your Bible to Luke chapter 8. This morning we'll be looking at the last part of this chapter that we began last week. So we're going to be reading together verses 22 through 56. That's through the end of the chapter. If you're using one of the Bibles you got off the back table that we've given you, you can turn to page 865 to find the beginning of this reading. So listen to God's word from Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 22. One day he, speaking of Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him? Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met, a man from, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone, from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he, had an only, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased and Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone from me. And when the woman saw 
that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him, except Peter and John and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what happened. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. If I were to begin a sentence, Jesus is, and asked you to fill in the blank, what would you say? We could go around a gathering like this and come up with many descriptions of Jesus. We might say Jesus is God, or Jesus is loving, or Jesus is righteous, Jesus is the Savior. There are many true and accurate ways to describe Jesus. But today as we look at the end of Luke 8, we see an aspect of him and his ministry that might not come to us quickly. It might come at the end of a long list. And that is, Jesus is disturbing. I don't say this to be silly or clever, but when we look at the way people react to Jesus, one thing we see is that they are disturbed by the encounter. Some of them are fearful. They're overcome. They fall at his feet. They don't know what to think. Too often we miss this about Jesus. To us, Jesus has become tame. The fact that we are not disturbed by Jesus may reveal we've not fully encountered him. To see how disturbing Jesus is, we need only to look at the first encounter that we read when Jesus calmed the storm by his word. To get the full picture, we need to remember the detail that Jesus had gone to sleep in the boat. That's a very human thing to do. He was tired and he fell asleep. So the setting for this amazing display of power, of authority over nature, is Jesus asleep. A reminder, Jesus was a human being, like you and me. The kind of person that falls asleep when he's still for a minute. He slept in the boat. But the terrified disciples woke him up, convinced that they're about to die in the sea. We have no reason to doubt them. They were fishermen who had been on the sea before. So it was clearly a dangerous situation. He awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. The disciples are rightly amazed in verse 25 when they ask, Who is this that he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him? Jesus is both the one who sleeps 
and the one who commands the storms, the one whom the storms obey. He is fully man and fully God. After they witnessed this miracle, Luke tells us in verse 25 that the disciples were afraid. Jesus is disturbing. He continues to disturb wherever he goes in this passage. One way to describe the way Jesus' ministry disturbs is to notice the way that people submit to Jesus. When people encounter Jesus face to face here, they know they are in the presence of someone in authority over them. Jesus' authority disturbs us. It reminds us that we are not our own. Let's just look at a few samples from the passage. So in verse 26 through 28, when he first steps on shore in this land of the Gerasenes, the demon-possessed man is clearly disturbed by Jesus. When the demon-possessed man sees Jesus, he falls at Jesus' feet and he begs Jesus not to torment him. The fact that he's begging Jesus, he's recognizing Jesus' authority over him. And then Jesus turns from, from addressing the man alone to talking directly to the demons. He asks the demon's name, which is legion, which is in a way, another way of showing that authority. And these demons, they beg Jesus not to send them into the abyss, which is, as far as we can understand it, kind of the, the permanent jail for demons. But they instead ask to be sent into this herd of pigs. Notice it says that Jesus had to give them permission. These demons go nowhere without the permission of Jesus. They're under Jesus' authority. Then in verse 36, we see that the people of the country of the Gerasenes, they were disturbed by Jesus. They were seized with fear and asked Jesus to depart. They were afraid because they saw the evidence of Jesus' power. They had heard about the pigs, and they can see this man. Formerly, he had been naked, living among tombs, unable to be held by chains. And now here he is before them, sitting in his right mind, clothed at Jesus' feet. Yet still, they don't want Jesus to be there. They want him to leave, but it's notable how different this is than when Jesus offended the Nazarenes. Right? This is not an angry mob. They're not chasing Jesus with pitchforks back to his boat. They politely ask him to depart from them. They recognize Jesus goes where he wants to go. He stays where he wants to stay. They recognize that Jesus is in charge, even in their unbelief. In verse 44 through 46, with the woman with the discharge of blood, we see someone who's especially disturbed by Jesus. She's convinced of Jesus' power to heal, so she wants to touch him, but she's afraid of confronting him. So it says she comes up from behind and just touches the hem of his garment. She, She tries to hide from Jesus, kind of shrinking back into the crowd. She's disturbed by him. Now, it might seem counterproductive to dwell on the way Jesus' ministry disturbs After all, we want people to come to Jesus, right? That's the goal of our preaching. One reason we we should dwell on this is simply so that we get an accurate picture of who Jesus is. We we know that we're tempted 
to invent our own image of Jesus. And we need to be continually reminded to trust in the Jesus of Scripture and not in the Jesus of our imagination. We need to have our thoughts about Jesus shaped by God's word about Jesus. But there's an even more important to dwell on the way Jesus is disturbing. And that's this. If we are not disturbed by Jesus, we cannot be saved by Jesus. Knowing Jesus should upset, turn over our lives. That's because when we come to know Jesus, we come to know the living and true God. The one who made us and who rules over us and who rules over all things. We come to know the one who's perfectly righteous and who has a perfect hatred of sin and evil. He is the God who judges wickedness, who's angry with the wicked every day. And yet, he is the one who loves us such that he gives his life to pay for our sins. Jesus is disturbing. As we walk through this text this morning, we're going to look at the people in these verses and how they were disturbed by Jesus in more detail. And we're going to look at them through two lenses. First, fear, and then faith. These are the, the twin themes of this whole passage. We see this twin, these twin themes first in verse 25 when we read Jesus ask the disciples, Where is your faith? And then immediately we find they were afraid. And we see fear and faith in what Jesus says to the ruler of the synagogue in verse 50. After the news comes that his daughter has died, do not fear, only believe. We're going to try to explore why does Jesus continually say do not fear and, and why are all these people afraid of him? And how does fear turn to faith? So we're going to begin by looking at a few different kinds of fear and then turn to see how fear turns to faith. And the first kind of fear I want you to see is one that we've all experienced. Fear of punishment. Fear of punishment. I think that's what the demon-possessed man has when he says in verse 28, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. He wants to avoid torment, right? He wants to avoid punishment. Perhaps he understands his, his punishment is coming and he's just trying to delay it. He's kind of like a conquered enemy before his conqueror begging for mercy. In the text, again, we first see the man speaking, but then Jesus turns to address the demons themselves and ask their name. Scholars say that the possession of one's name was considered equivalent to having power over that person, so this is another way of getting the demon's name that Jesus exercises his authority. And the demons pick up where the man left off. They beg for mercy, asking for a lighter sentence than what they know they deserve to be sent into this herd of pigs. We don't know why Jesus grants their requests. It may be because them getting into the pigs and going into the sea, he knows they're headed for the abyss anyway. So he's just, he's just helping them and speeding it along by granting their request. What we can say about these demons, again, is that they clearly recognize Jesus' authority. They're clearly terrified of Jesus. They're clearly terrified of receiving punishment from him. But they're also clearly opposed to him. 
In other words, their fear of him, their fear of punishment, does not lead them to faith and worship. It's just raw terror, seeking to escape the judgment that's coming. There was truth in their fear. Right? They rightly recognize they're under Jesus' authority, that they deserve punishment from him. But that truth did not lead them to salvation. Now, that's not surprising. We don't expect to find demons getting saved. Even though it might not surprise us, it can teach us. I want you all to see being scared of punishment does not save anyone. Being scared that God will punish you does not finally save you. There may be some truth in it. You might rightly recognize that God has the right to punish you because you've sinned against him. Perhaps you have some true sense of the the terror of eternity in God's wrathful presence. But if that fear does not lead you to repent and believe in Christ, it's a worthless fear. Kids, I wonder if you think that the religion that we're trying to bring you up in is all about being scared of punishment. I hope not. We do want you to know that hell is real and terrible. We do want you to know that sin deserves punishment. But we want this truth to lead you to the goodness of God who saves. The Jesus who casts these demons into the herd of pigs and into the lake is the same Jesus who descended to the grave to save us. He suffered death for our sake. We want you to see Jesus took the punishment that sinners deserve. We want you to trust in what he did for you. Jesus died to pay for the lies you've told, for the ways you've hated your siblings. He takes the punishment we deserve. So fear of punishment doesn't save, but when we really understand the righteousness of God, when we really understand that Jesus is the righteous judge of sin and also the perfect offering for sin, then we can turn to faith in Christ and be saved. That's the first kind of fear, fear of punishment. The next kind of fear I want us to look at is the fear of giving up your sin. The fear of giving up your sin. I think we see this in verses 35 and uh, 35 through 37 in the response of the people of the Gerasenes to Jesus. Let me read that for us again. Then people went out to see what had happened after they'd been told. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they, rec- for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. I think we see here the fear of giving up your sin or your sinful way of life. You might wonder why I say that. I think there's a parallel passage that can help us with this. This is the book of Acts, so written by the same author, verse 16. It's another example of of an exorcism, of of demons being cast out, and another example of how the people who see the exorcism react. So if you you want to turn there, you can, or you can just listen. Acts 16, verse 16. Luke is writing, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. 
She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them into the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. You see how far this group of people went when their, their resources, their slave girl with the spirit of divination was threatened? When their sinful way of life was threatened? They responded by beating savagely Paul and his associates. I want you to see Jesus was a threat to the garrison way of life. We may not understand all of what's going on with the demons and the pigs, but think of it this way. God showed up in the country of the Gerasenes and judgment broke out. Isn't that a fair characterization of what happened? The parallel passage in the book of Mark says that this was a great herd of pigs. It numbered 2,000 pigs. That's a huge loss of production for an agricultural community. It's such a noteworthy event that the herdsmen run far and wide through the whole country and city telling everybody what happened. And it's not good news, right? We're to understand, I think, this region as being marked by great spiritual darkness. The demon-possessed man who, who's the welcoming committee for the Gerasenes, he's representative, I think, of the spiritual death among this region. And so when the people witness the man no longer shackled, no longer wild, no longer naked, but clothed in his right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus, they see Jesus as a threat. This man has come to confront our entire way of life. And he has a power that would transform us. But we don't want to give up our sinful ways. I believe that's what they're afraid of when they ask Jesus to depart. It's a bit like the rich young ruler who Luke tells us became very sad when Jesus told him to sell all that he owned because he was extremely rich. These people of the country of the Gerasenes, they did not want to face the presence of Jesus. They did not want to be confronted by his righteousness and goodness. They did not want to repent or change. And so they asked Jesus to leave. The truly terrifying thing about this episode is that when they asked Jesus to depart, he did. It's noteworthy that when we read this story about the demon-possessed man, there are Three requests made of Jesus. One by the demons, one by the people of the Gerasenes, and one by the man who was healed. Jesus grants the demons' requests. He grants the requests of the Gerasenes and leaves. But when the man who'd been healed asked him for something, he says, no, you stay behind. You see that sometimes when God gives us what we ask for, it's judgment from God. 
But do you see where it leads? When we're afraid to give up our sin, when we hold on to it, it leads us away from the one who can save us. They refused to give up and return, uh, repent and turn to Jesus, and Jesus left them. When we hold on to our sin, it leaves us in sin and death. What about you? Are you afraid to give up your sin? What is it that you're holding on to? Is it a grudge? Is it a, a lust for a sense of control over your life? Is it a sinful relationship? What are you afraid of losing if you give up your sin? Let Christ disturb your life. Allow him to dislodge your precious sins. We see the, the goodness that comes in this demon-possessed man's life when Christ disturbs him. He's freed from his bondage. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. He's worshiping Jesus. Do you see the goodness that Christ would offer you? But beware of saying to Jesus, leave me alone. Fear of giving up our sinful way of life leads us away from the saving presence of Christ. The last kind of fear I want us to examine as we turn towards faith is the fear of this woman who had the discharge of blood. I believe her fear is harder to characterize, but I think it's this. She feared that Christ was not good. She believed in his power, but she feared that she would find him not good. Just again, look at the details of her story that Luke records for us, beginning in verse 44. She came up behind him, and touched the hem at fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. So she believes if she comes and touches him, she can be healed, and she was. And Jesus said, who, is the, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in you, on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that power has gone out from me. And when the women saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Again, notice those details. She came up behind. When Jesus asked, who was it that touched me? It says, all denied it. Right? So we can include her in the all. Right? It wasn't me, Jesus. And she only comes forward when it's clear that she saw that she was not hidden. So Luke tells us what she's wanting. She's wanting the sneak attack healing. You know, to be healed and then to recede into the crowd and, and to be hidden. She doesn't want to be outed. Why was this the case? We might imagine any number of reasons why someone might fear to be outed. It's a big crowd. Maybe she's shy. Maybe she's ashamed of her chronic condition. Maybe she thought it made her unclean. She thought maybe that if Jesus saw her, and knew her truly, he would reject her. She believed in his power, but wasn't convinced of his goodness. I think that's what we see from the disciples in the first episode. right? When the, when the wind and waves come, they know where to turn. They know that Jesus can solve the problem. They believe in his power. But Jesus 
asked them this rebuking question, where is your faith? They didn't yet trust in his goodness. They knew he was able to calm the storm, but they thought that he was going to let them perish in the sea. I wonder if this woman felt the same. If Jesus really knows me, he would never accept me. He's powerful, but is he good? And Jesus draws her out. He exposes her in this crowd. It it might seem to us that that's a harsh thing for Jesus to do, to, to out her when she wants to be hidden. But why does Jesus do this? Why does he out her? It's because he wants to show her his goodness. He wants to give her the opportunity to, to testify of what she's experienced. She, tells, she gets to tell, I've been trying for 12 years. I've tried every healer. I've tried every remedy. I've gone to the medical doctors and to the holistic doctors. I've tried essential oils. I've tried it all. And I'm still not better. But I touched Jesus, and I'm better. He gave her the opportunity to testify among all the people why she had come, and that Jesus had healed her. And then he gets to say to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Do you see the goodness of Jesus? To give her the opportunity to testify of his power and goodness, and then to receive her goodness. She was able to go away knowing, not only is he able to cure, he loves me. He's given me his peace. I no longer have to be distressed and afraid of him. I can come to him. I believe we see here what true faith is. Faith is receiving and trusting in both the power and the goodness of Christ. That he is able to heal. He is able to forgive and he's willing to forgive. As we see this woman wrestling with Jesus' power and goodness, we can now turn from fear to faith and see what faith is. We see that faith does first seek to come to Jesus and desires to be with Jesus. And that since this woman's faith was there, I think, the moment she touched him, right? She wanted to, to touch him and know, she knew that in Jesus there was healing. We see a similar kind of faith at work in the in the man who'd been healed from demon possession, right? He, he begs Jesus, Lord, let me be with you, right? As opposed to his countrymen who are saying, go away, Jesus, he knows where life is. Faith seeks to be with Jesus. Faith seeks to fellowship with Jesus in the gospel and his word. But we also see that faith testifies about Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus wants from this woman? He wants her to give her testimony. He gives her a chance to tell among all the people the way that Jesus has saved her. And that's why he leaves the healed man behind in the country of the Gerasenes. He wants to plant a seed of the gospel there. He wants this man who's been changed and healed by him to testify of his goodness. One thing to note here is that the, the, the demoniac is the exception to Jesus' rule. Right? Every time Jesus does a miracle in this first part of Luke, he's telling people to, to shut up about it. Right? And we see that at the end of our passage. Right? He tells the parents of the healed girl to be quiet. And that's because he's ministering in this Jewish area. But when he's among the, the Gentiles in the, in the land of the Gerasenes, among this demon-possessed land, he makes sure to leave behind a witness. He makes sure to leave behind someone to tell all that God has done for him. And did you notice 
that Jesus tells the man to tell all that God has done for him. But what does the man go and do? Luke says he goes and tells all that Jesus had done for him. Brothers and sisters, so one of the main things that we can do as Christians is to tell all that God has done for us through Jesus. I would encourage you, tell each other all that God has done for you. And tell the world all that God has done for you in Jesus. One of the ways we honor God is by being public about the way he has shown us his grace. I hope that's something that we can add more into our life together. And so I'd love for it on on Sunday nights, it was a common thing for us to to stand up and just share testimonies of God's grace to us. If if you've got something that you could share with us, a way that God has helped you to endure during difficulty or or fight sin or or just that you've seen the power and presence of God, I hope that you'd be willing to, to share it with us. And I hope you realize to share it is not to brag about yourself. It's just to declare all that God has done for you. So faith seeks to come to Jesus. Faith seeks to share what God has done for us. But at root, faith is conviction in the power and the goodness of Jesus. I think that's why Jesus finally tells this man, Jairus, don't fear, only believe. Right? Jairus perhaps has reason to think that that Jesus is not going to heal his daughter now, right? The time has, has been passed. This, this other incident has taken Jesus' attention. But, but Jesus wants Jairus to know, I'm still coming. I haven't forgotten you. I'm good. And so he goes to the house and he raises the girl. You know, we get one last picture of the difference between faith and unbelief when Jesus tells the mourners, that, that the woman, the girl is only sleeping. And they laugh at him, right? They doubt that he really knows what he's doing. But Jesus heals her. He tells them, do not weep. And he goes in and he raises the girl. So what are we left with? We're left with a picture of Jesus who is both powerful, he's able to speak and raise the dead, and he's good. He's willing. He's willing He's willing not to give up on Jairus' case. He's willing to draw out the woman. He's willing to leave the demoniac behind to give a witness in this dark place. He's powerful and he's good. Brothers and sisters, I, I hope that you will see we can come and rely on this Jesus. I think many of us sometimes feel like that woman Afraid to face Jesus. Afraid, if he really knows the true me, will he accept me will he, or he, will he reject me? Jesus wants to show us, I am good. I can look you in the face and I will receive you. Not because you are worthy, but because I'm covering you with my righteousness. To those here who have yet to come to faith in Jesus, I hope you see that Jesus is in authority over you. Jesus is almost presented here like the law of gravity, right? Law of gravity means things fall to earth. In the presence of Jesus, people fall down. The demoniac fell down. Jairus fell down. The woman fell down in worship. Whether you fall down on your knees today and worship him, or it waits till the end of history, you will fall on your knees and you will worship King Jesus. But there's no need to wait. Today is the day 
Stop holding on to your sin. Don't be afraid of how your life might turn upside down. It very, may, very well may turn upside down. But by God's grace, you will land in the arms of Christ. And he is good. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your help when we are tempted to live in sinful fear, a fear of punishment, a fear of relinquishing our cherished sins. We pray that you would open our eyes to how foolish that fear is. We pray that you would tear down anything that would keep us from coming to Christ and that we would come to you through Jesus, trusting in his work for us. We thank thank you that we have a powerful and good Savior. We thank you that he is able to forgive our sins and he is willing. And so we pray for your help to trust him. In Jesus' name, amen.